I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Tim Cole. And Tim Cole is someone that over the past three decades has helped launch 20 new brands to the market. He's been instrumental in six legitimate blockbusters, and he's known as the key player in the highly competitive world of pharmaceuticals. He's also been intimately involved in sourcing and developing talent throughout the industry. Now, Cole is revealing his killer formula for success. We're going to be talking about how to be the CEO of your own career. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure is mine. So your new book, uh, The the Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career, is, is doing well on the Amazon chart. So... I'm pretty, pretty excited for you, but I'm, I'm very curious. What led you to even um, try to write a book? Well, because I stumbled, and I, I say that uh, not facetiously. I stumbled into a career 37 years ago, and I, I know people will be listening to this and, and thinking, you know, what kind of Methuselah have you dug up for the show? But the reality is I, I stumbled into a career without a lot of uh, vision, without a lot of goals. I wanted to try and make a little bit of money and, and maybe get a company car. And I didn't realize when I stumbled into pharmaceuticals and healthcare that it was going to be one of the more volatile industries. And over the course of 37 years, I saw a lot of people whose careers ended, sometimes without a lot of uh, advance notice. And there came a point in my uh, around my 35th year when I looked around, and much to my surprise, my chagrin, I realized I was about the only one left from my generation. I went through between mergers and acquisitions and restructures about 30. And uh, I learned some things. And I'll tell you the biggest thing I learned, Tayo, was that I I began to, um, I began to realize this career is a pretty big thing. And if, if I'm going to make it, I'm going to have to seek to understand it. And so in about my fourth or fifth year, I managed to begin to identify markers. And those markers eventually became my own version of a career compass. And I used those because I began to realize the world was going to change on me and I couldn't depend on a department, a manager, a company 
to guide me. I had to kind of build my own guide. And it was that guide that allowed me to, to navigate through all the things I went through. And that's ultimately what informs the book, The Compass Solution. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. And I love that it came from such a personal story. But I have a question for you. Why do you feel like a lot of people stay in careers even though they don't feel fulfilled? That's a great question. It's funny. I did an article about that yesterday. I think it's a combination of a couple things. I think, number one, it's fear. You know, the, the, the devil I know versus the one I don't. I think people get locked in and fear keeps them there. I think that's the first thing. I think there's, uh, and it ties to fear, but I think there's a general trepidation and a reluctance for a lot of people to become explorers. You know, it's just, I, I don't want to do that. I'm not cut that way. And so they never manage to gaze over the wall or even consider the fact that there might be greener pastures. And I, I think there's also a function to a certain degree of skills. You know, if I'm trained in a certain area, in a certain career field, I know that and I can do that. And I, uh, I, I, I want to stay in my comfort zone. And, and for me, when I realized staying in the comfort zone was akin to walking down a rutted path in a plowed field, it's when you get out of the comfort zone that you really begin to grow. So I think it's a couple of things, but those stand out. No, no, you couldn't be more right. And, you know, I, I haven't had your experience with um, uh, a lot of the the industry, especially in the pharmaceutical industry, but I had, you know, an experience where my first job out of college was something that I didn't want to do. And I stuck there for two years until I had a near-death experience and I decided that I was just going to move to a new city and just sort of pursue my career. And, you know, the typical ups and downs and those fears and those imposter syndrome crept in, but having that near death experience sort of made me realize that I wasn't promised tomorrow. So I kept pushing through, but, um, I definitely, you know, I felt that like myself, I was locked in that prison for those two years. And then when I was on my own pursuing what I wanted to do, oftentimes if I didn't have uh, a way to connect to my vision, I felt like, yeah, maybe I should just go back. <laughs> So I imagine a lot of people feel like there's some security that you um that you're talking about in just having something that pays the bills every two weeks. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, you know, you mentioned near death experience. And I think for a lot of people it may take a near death experience, but out of that adversity, it's amazing what happens as regards uh innovation, uh, creativity and in some cases entrepreneurialism. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it, it's amazing how often I've begun over the years to realize it's the crises in life that sometimes can be the greatest gift we ever receive if we learn from them. Yeah, that's true. That, that's 100% true. It's if we learn from it. So speaking of learning, why don't we talk about the four cardinal points of the compass? You know, the book is called The Compass Solution. So what are the four cardinal points of the compass and how do they help repave your path to achievable, sustainable, successful career? Yeah, well, first, I appreciate the question, and let me give you a backdrop on how I finally arrived at what I call the lodestar mm. or, or the north star uh, for me. Um, I went to work thinking that if I work hard, and keep in mind, I'm a baby boomer, so you know we're talking about a span here, and but I think I can connect with millennials because I have two sons that are millennials, Brandon and David, and I wrote the book. Really, I started the book for them, but for me, when I went to work in what was then corporate America, the general philosophy was if you work hard, if you keep your head down, if you do the right things, you'll be your entire career with the company. Well, that was, that was a fairly uh, uh, incorrect assumption because things changed, mergers began, downsizings, global economy, all those things in combination. And lo and behold, there came a point when I looked around and most of my 
a lot of my peers. My manager was gone. My department had been changed. And I began to realize the only footprints they're going to track with me my entire career are mine. And so I began to think about what really should be the North Star for me. And for me, that created what I call in the book personal accountability. And once I began to reconcile the fact that if it was going to be, it had to be ultimately up to me, I began to build skill sets that made sure that I embraced and really owned the notion of personal accountability. And in the book, The Compass Solution, we talk at great detail about what's involved in really building that personal accountability. And it's really all about optimizing self. So that's the first and the most important cardinal point. Second cardinal point, I began to look around and realize the people that were surviving were those that really learned how to optimize not just themselves, but the people around them, the teammates, the collaborative skills, the relationship skills. And so the second cardinal point over time became people because I was able to study. And I am I I mean, I admit it. I'm a a studier of the world around me. I spent a lot of time uh, note taking, observing, trying to learn. And so the second cardinal point were all the things that I saw that made great people players, and that became the second cardinal point. So now we're talking first optimizing self, then we're talking about optimizing those around you. The third cardinal point was was process. And I call it process, but a better way of describing it is how does your business really work? How are decisions arrived at? How is the work product, whatever that product is, finally arrived at? And I call it process because ultimately I began to realize if you don't know how your company works, the organization that you're a part of, you're always going to be a little bit uh, removed. And so process became the third part cardinal point. And just to kind of give you a reference point, we're talking first about optimizing self with personal accountability, optimizing yourself and others with people, optimizing the company as a whole with process. But it took me years to finally arrive at what I call the fourth cardinal point, and that was everything for me. The fourth cardinal point is perspective. I saw a lot of people who invested their lives in their careers. And I've always said that if you make the game of business, the game of career, your life, you've already lost. And so for me, perspective, linking the first three cardinal points, seeking a balance between those three, and then sinking a balance in my personal life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, the piece of perspective was my gyroscope. And when I finally got that right and had a sense of what I was doing with it, I had a, I had a career compass. And that career compass by my seventh or eighth year made what probably should have been a job kind of a, I don't want to say a joy ride, but a wonderful experiment that I could use to navigate even when things around me got kind of goofy. Wow. Wow. So optimizing self, you know, that's around accountability, optimizing those around you, just around people, optimizing company, which is leads to process and uh, perspective, which helps you with the balance among those three previously mentioned do you feel you know I'm here I'm here listening because obviously I'm I'm an entrepreneur as well and I and I sort of out of at a career that I felt like I wasn't meant to be doing and out of near the experience and out of a sense of purpose really I you know I came to this career that I have right now but I imagine that there are people listening saying yeah I mean this sounds nice but I mean, I just, you know, I just got out of college. I'm, I have an art degree. Not many people are hiring, and I just have to go with the first one. And I've, I'm already twenty thousand dollars in debt from college. Uh, how can I even be start thinking about the company process uh, when I'm just that that first, uh, you know, year hire? You know, what, what would you say to those people? 
Yeah, I think it's a great question. And uh, let's speak a second to the millennials. If you, if you look at what the data suggests, Gallup had a fantastic uh, study last year that said something like 29% of millennials are engaged in their job, which means about 71% aren't. And a lot of the reasons for that is exactly what you just described. Hey, buddy, you know, I know you want to talk about this grander purpose and mission. I got bills. You know, I, I, I got to take care of a college loan. I got to pay my rent. Um, uh, I appreciate that you're trying to give me a North Star, but right now I'm trying to put food in my mouth. And I think that's a very, very valid point. And I would say even to those, because I was one of them at one point, when I got my first job in what I called corporate, I was trying to, to pay the basic necessities. But I think what I want to try to say to people is whether you're starting out on day one or starting out on day 10 or day 20 or year 10, year 20, year 30, I, I will challenge everyone to realize that <clears throat> the hand to mouth is one thing and you have to take care of that. But I want people to think about it's going to be more than just the next foot step that's going to dictate your career. You've got to think occasionally a little bit longer than just the line of sight on the trail. And even if you're taking a job right now to pay the bill, just pay the bill because I've been there and I think a lot of people have. I want you to challenge yourself to think about this whole thing of career. It's going to be more than just the next month. In fact, when I did the math and began to do the research on it and I talk about it in the book, if you go to work where, you, you know, let's say you're 21, and you work a normal course, you're going to invest a hundred thousand hours in your career. That's, that's by far the biggest financial investment of your life. There's nothing even close. And I, I try to challenge people to say, look, don't treat it like a spend and certainly don't treat it like a gamble. Think about the fact that there are going to be more steps down the line. And even if you take a job just to pay the bill, it's okay. Ask yourself, am I passionate about it? Am I finding something that I want to do that I'm good at? And if I'm not, it's okay to continue to look until you find that. You know, you, you ask a great question I thought at the very beginning. Why do people stay? Well, because they're afraid. I say to people, look, when you get your first job, even if it's working at the local Quickie Mart, you keep your resume out there. You pay today's bills, but you always think about, I'm going to move towards something eventually that I'm passionate about. And it may take a near-life or near-death experience like the one that you described, but Keep working toward that North Star, even if right now it's clouded and far away. Always think about the North Star because eventually, in time, you'll become the CEO of your career. It may take you a while. It took me a while, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think is also, you know, your fourth point there with the Cardinals is this perspective that you can have where, you know, if you have a mindset that, you know, this might not be what you're doing or what you want to do right now, but you can take some transferable skills and apply that to whatever it is that is your passion, I think that helps with your perspective. And also, even because if I look back at my career, I you know I was told that I was going to do um, marketing, uh, di digital media marketing when I first graduated, and it ended up being sales. And I had a quarter of $10,000, you know, 21 years old. You know, I needed a job because I was, uh, I'm, I'm a foreigner here, so this was the only company that sponsored my visa. But now that I look at what I do, it's a lot of lessons that I learned from there, the sales and prospecting and pitching, those things apply now, whether it's me um, trying to uh, speak at a different organization or trying to sell myself. And back then, I didn't necessarily uh, see the benefit of that because I thought it had nothing to do with what I wanted to do. So there are always skills that can be transferable, but it's always 
mind, it's always important that you stay um, focused also on what it is that is your your true passion, your true north. So, yeah, yeah I would encourage you to, to, to not give up once you don't get the career upon the first try. I think that's a wonderful comment. <clears throat> I think what you've just done, too, is, is incredibly powerful because you told the story. Okay. You know, I, 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 um, I believe we learn through stories. Uh, I really do. I, uh, I took the liberty of listening to one of your, uh, I think it was one of your TEDx talks uh, back when we first started uh, exchanging emails. You said something in one of those that I think probably epitomizes your career journey. You said that um, your father <clears throat> told you something that you never forgot, and that is something to the effect of, hey, um, the world is bigger than you, and if you're going to be successful, you have to understand it. Yeah. And I think, and, and I, I got to tell you, when I heard that, I smiled because I had that same revelation in my career journey. I finally realized, hey, dude, you're not going to figure this thing out just because you work hard and you try to be the best. You better stop and look at it in a larger context and build a kind of a sense of purpose and mission. And yeah, you're right. You may not be doing right now what is ideal for you, but you take those experiences, you take those lessons and you continue to apply them and you take control of your career and you'll eventually get there. And that's what I've seen the people that really thrived in their careers do. They, that, you know, I, I say to people, look, I, I'm a collector. When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards, marbles, uh, you name, I collected it. And today what I, I do is I collect experiences. I collect the learnings. Hopefully, sometimes I didn't learn a lot, but some sometimes I did. And then I try to collect the stories that connect the two, so that maybe I can help a couple of people. So I, I think you're right on target. Thank you so much, and thank you for watching the talk. That's that was uh, the art of diplomacy. So I appreciate that. Um, so since we're talking about something similar here, let's talk about the power of free agency. You know, why do you feel like leaving the corporate confines can be the best decision you'll ever make? Uh, well, here's why. Because a lot of people that go into traditional corporate uh, operate under the assumption that they're being granted lifetime tenure. You know, like the college professor uh, and certainly a lot of people in my generation, if I do good things, if I make a contribution to the bottom line, I'm here. And a lot of people, especially in the 80s and 90s, had a, a unfortunately cataclysmic collision with reality that said you can be very talented and we appreciate your service now good luck to you we wish you well and so what i try to say to people whether you're going to work at any kind of firm whether it's a a group of five or a group of five thousand i want you to always embrace the notion that you're a, a contracted independent uh, agent and just like in professional football you are free in most cases, and there may be sometimes non-compete clauses, but you're free to always look at and entertain other options and don't ever assume that you're anything other than a free agent, whether you're a senior leader or just starting out. And so what I try to say to people is, look, classic example. Here's a great example. I was talking to someone recently. They'd just gotten the job of their dreams, and they were thrilled. And this is, Tim, this is going to be 10 years down the road. This is what I'll be doing. This is wonderful. I'm great. And my first question to them was, um, so when are you going to update your resume? And they're like, what, what, do you mean, what, what do you mean? I just got, I said, when are you going to update the resume? And my point was to say, you always are looking at opportunities because whether you want to admit it or not in your mind, you're a free agent. Whether you're an entrepreneur or working with the largest corporation in the, in the world, 
treat it as if you are a free agent and then you keep your options open. There's an old uh, tenet that says the law of requisite variety, which means if you have a greater number of options, you, you generally control the situation. I say to people, keep your options open from day one to the last day of employment. Hmm. Wow. wow. Uh, then, okay, so then let's say that moment comes around where you want to determine if it's time to quit your job. You have the corporate divorce 10. What yep. are those 10? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And questions to consider. Well, I, I, here's what I had, again, to learn the hard way. I, I have a chapter in the book, The Compass Solution, called Walking Away. And you ask a great question before. Why do people stay? You know, what, what is it? And, and, and some of the reasons we talked about. And so over time, I began to develop, I guess, for what, I guess, lack of a better term, I call the, the, the corporate divorce 10. And it's really career divorce 10. 10 questions that I ask people to consider if they're weighing the notion of leaving where they are to go someplace else. And the 10 questions, I'll give you a couple of them. And and one of them is the most basic. Am I really happy here? Am I really happy here? Is this give me, does this juice me up? And does this really connect with what I'm passionate about? The second thing, and this was big for me was are the company's values and philosophies really aligned with mine? If they're not, you know, it's kind of like a divorce in a marriage, you know, if I'm not happy here, if this spouse's uh, philosophies don't align with mine, you know, you got to ask yourself some tough questions. Third thing is, again, am I passionate about what I do every day? Fourth one was, do my skill sets align? Fifth one was, is my role rewarding and does it offer me a future? And there's more. But I think what I'm trying to say to people is, look, apply just a little bit of critical thinking to your career, just a little bit. And don't treat it like a lottery ticket. Think about what you want to do and what you can be. And don't allow yourself to be bounded by today's situation to prevent you from having the courage to look ahead. So in essence, that's what we're trying to do. Love it. And obviously, if you want to learn more about the Corporate Divorce 10, make sure you check out the book. And the book is called The Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career. Thank you so much for giving us some insight into that. Um, okay, so we know about those situations where, you know, it might not be the career that you want, but you can still sort of apply some strategic thinking to how that can ultimately get you to that free agency. There are moments, though, when you get that career that you want, but you have a bad boss, you know. So w- what are ways you can handle that that boss that uh, never seems to call your number or always seems to have a problem with you? Well, you know, I, I do. I have a, a chapter in the book called The Bad Boss. And, and here's the first thing I would say to anybody that's listening. 
You know, the first time you encounter a bad boss, your assumption is, well, this is the first time this has ever happened. Uh, um, I must be the only one. Uh, and I, I think one of the things I try to say to people is, look, you play the game of career. Unless you totally run your own business, unless you totally run your own business, someday you're going to draw the short stick and you're going to have a bad boss. And um, it's just inevitable. And even if you're completely an entrepreneur and you're dealing with clients, someday you're going to have a client that's going to drive you nuts. So I, I think what I try to say to people is, look, it's a reality in everybody's career. It's just a part of life. Uh, get over it, and you got a couple of options. In you can uh, you can walk away, uh, you can resign, and just say, "All right, I'm leaving this client, I'm leaving this boss, uh, I, I'm moving on." Or you can say, "Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find a way to live with it." And I guess another option might be I could maybe transfer. You know, the the fourth option uh, you you can't kill them and continue your career. You, you can't do that. You know, and there may be times when you want to. You know, I'd like to, but I can't. So, so what I try to say to people is, look, here here's some things I want you to think about, and it's really just an objective look at. You know, my interpretation of what a bad boss is could be different from yours, who could be different from somebody else's. What I say is, look, take a step back, take a breath, objectively look at it, and ask yourself some questions. And those questions are things like. Have I really looked at, you know, what the expectations the person has of me and vice versa? Have I had a conversation? Do I seek to understand their perspective or I just simply, you know, say you're an idiot and I don't want to work with you? And I guess for lack of a better term, I, I try to give some practical tips to people that says, look, even the worst boss in the world. You can learn from. I learned from some people that honestly, I, I think at the time I probably would have. Loved to punch them in the mouth, but I couldn't. And so I, I said, all right, what can I learn from this and how do I navigate it? They don't have to be my best friend. I don't have to agree with what they're doing, but I'm going to find a way as best I can to navigate this. And I'm not going to allow them. And I say this in the book, don't allow bad boss to force you to leave your career. Yeah, more often than not, you can, you can out, you, you can outlast them. If you take an approach that says, I'm going to do my job. And I'm going to be successful in spite of. And that's what I try to say in The Bad Boss. In fact, um, in my website, uh, which is uh, www.thecompassalliance.com, which is the name of our company, The Compass Alliance, I blog often about how do you survive a bad boss? How do you move beyond? And in the book, we go into great detail. But that's just some of the general principles that we try to, uh, as best we can, articulate. No, I love a lot of what you're saying where you're given. You, you, I started the interview talking about being the CEO of you and you're really talking about how you can do a lot of things within yourself to, to make yourself um, feel more fulfilled, but also to plan ahead. So it's, um, it's definitely great. And it aligns with what, what it is that you wrote about. When you were telling that story, though, I kept thinking about this movie, uh, Horrible Bosses. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Okay. <laughs> I've had other people bring that up. That's exactly, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you were like you said, you can't, you can't kill your boss. And I was like, there was a movie about people trying to kill their boss. It'll pass your mind a couple. But, but it's just not conducive to a long-term career when you do that. And then yeah. you got another set of problems. Yeah, you, you know, you got to, you know, jail and prison and other yeah, all yeah. sorts of things. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are the three most overrated business skills and why? Well, here's I'll offer you um, uh, one that, that for the purposes of the discussion, 
that uh, I think a lot of people, um, they're almost hardwired to believe is, is just something that uh, you have to be able to be good at. And, 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 it, and to a certain degree, it is good, but it's limiting. Here's one. Organization. <clears throat> when I went to work all those years ago, I was not very organized. I really wasn't. And so I, um, I sought to become organized, to begin to kind of put things in different piles and try to get a sense of what it is I needed to do. And I thought, okay, once I get organized, I got this puppy. What I didn't realize was that organization is the ante into the poker game, but it ain't the game. I mean, it's not even the start. And so I began to realize I worked in some cases with highly organized people that were totally ineffective, totally. And I asked myself, why is that? Because organization, as I said, is just the ante to get into the poker game. You can be organized and be ineffective because you've never learned the second level skill, which is the capacity to prioritize. And when I began to realize that those who could prioritize and decide what's most important, and I talk about it in great detail in the book, The Compass Solution, prioritization is a higher level skill, and it's those who can prioritize in addition to organizing who can sometimes uh, move the world. Now, there's a third element to that, and I speak about it again in, in, the, in the, the Compass Solution. But then there's a higher level, and those were the people that I saw that could, could move the universe. The basic skill is organization. The second level skill is prioritization. The third level skill, and I call it, and it's probably not even a, a proper word, is the capacity to calendarize. And this is what I mean when I say calendarize. You and I will both be granted 1,440 minutes today. It's the same allotment that's granted everybody. Some people will invest that 1,440 minutes, and some will simply spend them. So what I try to say to people is, look, if you're organized, and there are steps that we offer in terms of how to organize, if you can prioritize, the third piece for most people is having the discipline to calendarize so that if I have, for discussion's sake, on Saturday the 30th, if I have three priority items, make the decision to calendarize it, to build it into your calendar and to make those your priorities as opposed to simply trying to balance a lot of balls in the air. And I see in the corporate world, especially a lot of people that just juggle, they just juggle, you know, and at the end of the day, they're, they've got balls all around their feet and everywhere else, but they haven't gotten anything done. And so when we talk about critical skills, organization, prioritization, and calendarization, we try to challenge people that say, you only get the same allotment, how you invest it is going to be the difference maker. And, you know, you and I deal with a factor right now that's much more egregious than it was 20 years ago. We live in a world of information overload with technology. I think technology oftentimes, which is a wonderful tool, can also be a great distraction for people unless they learn how to prioritize that technology and don't allow it to uh, sap them from their primary attention points. Wow. wow. Yeah. No, those, are, those are great things. I always say um, schedule your priorities. I think a lot of people... You know, whenever they're putting stuff in the calendar, they let that planner sort of rule their lives, but they don't actually schedule priorities on the, on the calendar. Because right. you, you'd ask them, hey, what do you do? I got a 9 o'clock meeting. I got a 12 o'clock meeting. I got a day. And then I always ask them, well, what about the, you know, the, the one hour of practice for your guitar? And you say you want to be a musician. Or what about 
you know, reading that book so that you can become a better speaker? Or what about that? And like, oh, yeah, but that's just after work. And it's, you know, it's that mindset where they, they haven't found the time on the calendar. Um, and they actually yeah. created this imaginary day, which is called Someday. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's not there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Love that. So, yeah. Prioritization. That's a, it's definitely, that's definitely a big skill that people need to have for sure. So what about the, um, tough times? What is a step-by-step guide to imagine those tough times uh, as we're closing the year? I'm, I kind of want to round up here with, with, you know, the grounded approach. We've talked a lot about positivity, uh, and I believe in that, but sometimes, you know, the inevitable tough times happen. So what's the essential adversity formula that you have? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to imagine and I'm going to go back to your TEDx talk when you were talking about the fact that, you know, you land on a, on a, on a campus and you're culturally, you're, um, you're struggling and you began to take the time to say, all right, look, I'm going to begin to understand my environment. I'm going to become an active listener. And eventually I'm going to apply those skills to get to the point where I can embed myself in a different way. What I had to learn the hard way when I uh, went into my uh, my career was that crises always seemed like it was personal and it was uh, affecting only me and it would never end. And what I began to be appreciate in time was, no, it's not always personal. It's not going to last forever. And my ability to navigate it was going to be dependent on a couple of basic skill sets. And you're right. I built my own version of a diversity formula, and it's not rocket science, but the application of it oftentimes uh, is easy to say, hard play for a lot of people. And so what I, I began to do, when I when I went through my first downsizing, I thought the world was ending. I thought, how could this ha- How could they have done this to so many good people? Well, they weren't doing anything other than trying to make sure we run a profitable business. And so I began to come up with my own little steps, and, and they're basic, and I talk about it in greater detail in the book. But the first thing was, hey, remain calm. Uh, the, it may seem like the world is ending, but this storm's going to pass. Uh, you can make the decision that you're tougher than the immediate stressors if you choose to. And if you can maintain some semblance of calm and perspective, your chances of surviving are much, much greater. The second thing was, and this ties in, I smile when I was listening to your TED Talk. I, I, the second step is constantly assess your resources. You know, whether that's a physical resource or other people, make certain that you're clear on what you can bring to bear to, to navigate and, and to survive. The third thing is leverage the power of information. Don't just, don't just see, observe. Don't just, uh, have your ears out there. Listen. The, the world will teach you. The fourth thing is, hey, remain confident as you execute your plan. Don't just go willy-nilly into the night. Put a plan together and, and, and remain confident as you execute it. And then the steps five and six were measure your progress. Um, you know, a lot of people simply take action, but they don't really assess whether or not they're making gains. And the last thing is adjust and adapt your plan accordingly. And again, the book goes into greater detail. But what I try to say to people with the adversity formula is, look, this isn't the first time a crisis occurred. It won't be the last. How you learn to respond to it is really what's going to be most important. Yeah. No. I mean, this is such a timely, timely book as well. And I love the fact that you you really go into detail on this. You know, there's a stat out there that, you know, people, you know, like you said, spend at least 100,000 hours working in their lifetime. And, um, you know, a lot of the reality is that we work most of those 
times. You know, we work most of our lives. And if we, you know, fill those hours with things that have nothing to do with what we truly want, um, it leads to several things. You know, unhappiness, depression, that leads, that takes to the family. You're not being a good parent. You're not being a good friend. And, and you're just not really achieving the fullest of your potentials. Um, and it's a sad reality, but a lot of times people have that sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And in your book, you're saying that you don't have to be as helpless and hopeless, that there are resources that can help you sort of take charge of that career and, and really ride that wave um, to fulfillment. You've just summarized my book beautifully. Ah. Um, <laughs> you really, I, I need you for my press agent because you're, you're right. I'm trying to say to people, look, you're, you're either going to lead your career or your career is going to lead you. It's your choice. I mean, you know, it's 100,000 hours. You're going to get one shot at it. If you're going to be the victim, that's fine. But you've made that decision. Don't do it. And to your point, can you think of anything sadder no, than to come no. to the end of that 100,000-hour journey and go, well, I, I survived. I, I, I just think that's terrible. No, you're right. I mean, that, that, that's the one, you know, that near-death experience when I nearly lost my life and flipped over the bridge. It was a car accident. The only question that came to mind was, have you done everything you said you were going to do? And mm-hmm. you know, I was 22, and I was like, man, I, I haven't done anything. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that, that was, that was the, that's the fear that I, that I had. And I was like, I, I had this fear of um, failure all this while. And I was like, the saddest thing is actually not achieving my potential, doing what I said I was going to do. And so, yeah, you're right. It, it is really, really sad. And you go to the end of life, and you feel like, I really should have taken that risk. Could have done more. Um, looking back, I have perspective. It really wasn't that big of a deal, and I just made it a big deal. So, yeah. Well, most people, unfortunately, don't have the epiphany that you had at 22. What's sad is when they have it at 62, because then sometimes, then sometimes it's too late. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we're gonna get your book, and we're gonna realize that it's not too late. And um, Tim Cole <laughs> is, is who I've been talking to. He's the author of the Compass Solution: A Guide to Winning Your Career. It's uh, currently, uh, you know, going up the charts on, on Amazon. It was what number nine? In the best well, it's reached number nine. We've we've been very fortunate. We, uh, you know, this is a grassroots movement. I mean, it really is. People are hearing about it, and I think uh, first millennials and then others are going. I this is kind of a guidebook. This is a GPS. I think I'll take a look. So we've been very fortunate. Yeah. No. Well, I'm very very happy for you on that. Before we leave, I want to ask you to, the final question. The mission statement of this podcast is use your difference to make a difference. So. I always ask my guests that same question. How do they use their differences to make a difference? How do you use your difference to make a difference? Yeah, I think uh, I, love the, I love the slogan. And I'll, I'll go back to when I read about you. And I, I told you this before. I haven't met too many people that have a background at your age, five countries, four continents. His father was a diplomat who took that meshing of skills and cultural and, and, and perspective and said, I can, I can make a difference. So here, here's my, my answer. We're all different, aren't we? Whether that's diversity of thought, color, uh, gender, whatever it might be, we're all different. And, and I think our challenge, whether that's in talking about career or other things, is to recognize and celebrate the differences and use that to find a common ground and a common approach to making the world different. And I wrote this book because I realized my journey isn't so much different as it is finding markers. And my goal now is to say, can I help other people do it? And I hope that those experiences and those differences will allow me to help others maybe make their trail a little bit easier. If we do that, then I think we will have uh, hopefully done something that we're 
ultimately proud of. Beautifully said. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Tim Cole, the author of The Compass Solution, A Guide to Winning Your Career. Um, this has been a great interview. I really, really appreciate everything that you said. Um, and thank you for bringing such perspective. And, and hopefully, you know, my generation and the generation after me um, was able to learn from this. And we, we are all able to forge ahead and try and solve some of today's problems. Thank you so much. Pleasure is mine. Ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 